big screen behind me is a big word. Not just because it has lots of letters, but because it involves a lot. It takes, in order for this to, to be a successful word, it takes a lot of determination. It takes a lot of tenacity. It takes a lot of devotion, time, and energy. Commitment is very important. We who are married want commitment in our marriages. We who work at a place, uh, whether it's in the secular world or in a church where there's other people involved, we like commitment. If you are playing sports, if your kid is on a team, your coach wants your kids to be committed throughout the whole season. And as much as we look around at our normal everyday life and say we want commitment and commitment is a good thing, God is a God who is committed and he's a God who deserves commitment above and beyond anything else that we find ourselves committed to. Paul, we find today, is a guy who is playing the part of the committed. He's committed to the ministry that God has called him to. And we see that God is willing to work through Paul, through his commitment, even in ways that Paul's not necessarily causing. It's just something God's choosing to do. And we see that by the end of the message that Paul's reaping the benefits. He gets to see the, the benefits of his commitment and, and God taking care of working through that commitment as well. So today, these are the things we're going to be looking at. Uh, first, we're going to see is that we need to be committed to the ministry that God has called us to. So you, Whatever ministry God has laid upon your heart and upon your life, you need to be committed to that ministry. We see this example from Paul's life in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul was committed to the ministry, and we find this in today's passage in two different locations. First, he was committed in the synagogue, uh, and he was there for three months, as was his custom. He would go to a new city. His goal was to go into the synagogue and start teaching them the name of Jesus. Yes, they knew about God. Yes, they knew about the Old Testament, but they did not most of the time know about specifically the name of Jesus. And so Paul went to those locations, and he was there speaking to them for three months and it says he was arguing persuasively with them so paul would start out most likely in a situation like this where he is the speaker and talking in a pastor uh congregant type of relationship but then paul would have these q a conversations you know stump the preacher ask the difficult questions and paul would engage in those conversations and he was arguing persuasively trying to convince them to trust the name of jesus to follow the gospel as it was laid out he gave a defense of the gospel a defense of the faith for three months and that in some circles that's three months is a short period of time but when you're arguing persuasively with people who are not interested in what you're saying three months is a very long time and he did this until the people refused uh it says in verse 9 
uh, some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. They refused. They became obstinate. They hardened their heart. They're hearing the name of Jesus. They're hearing the gospel. Instead of them saying, I need that. I want that. Their hearts were, they were hardening saying, I don't want that. I'm not accepting that name of Jesus. I want none of this. And then they, they refused to believe they were having they were hearing it from the scriptures they were having these one-on-one conversations they were getting all the answers but still they refused to accept that was really true and it, and it wasn't bad enough that they just said i don't want this but they started maligning they started speaking bad about the way this and this way that they were speaking bad about was about jesus and john 14:6 jesus answered i am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That way that they were speaking poorly of, speaking evil of, was Jesus. They didn't want Jesus, and they didn't want you to have Jesus either. And so Paul says, wait a second, I see the writing on the wall. You, I've been here for three months, you guys don't want this. I'm not wasting my time any longer. I'm going somewhere else. And we see in verse, uh, verse uh, let's see, verse 9, also, it says, so Paul left them. He took his disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which apparently was not his first name. It was not the, God, the, the parent giving name. Tyrannus is like tyrant. You know, you don't want to name your kid. You know, some kids fulfill their, their, the name of their kids. Uh, there was this name that Leslie liked. I'm, I can't remember what it was, but what the name meant. I'm like, I'm not naming my kid that because I do not want him to fulfill that meaning of that name. So I don't think his parents said, I'm going to name my kid Tyrannus as a tyrant. He might have developed that name over time because of his personality. But anyway, he was he had a lecture hall and and Paul went there and he took his disciples who were genuinely interested in what he was saying. And he spoke to them for two years. Two years is a long time. And it looks like from, Paul went from a free platform to speak from speaking in the, the synagogue for free to a paid position. No, Paul did not get paid to go speak in the hall of Tyrannus. Paul had to pay in order to go speak in this hall. And, and several commentaries gave me the same information was that this is kind of what their workday was like. Uh, this would be the workday of the, this, the lecture hall, uh, as well as whatever other places of employment. From 7 in the morning till 11 was work or school time. From 11 to 4 was their siesta time. And from 4 to 9.30 was they went back to work and they went back to school. Well, when Paul was going to be sharing more about Jesus, more about what Scripture says, this 11 to 4 period of time was when Paul did this. Um, and so Paul, he was not a guy who was accustomed to just doing what I do. You know, what do I do? I study, I speak one day a week, and then I study, and I take a break. That's all I did. Paul was the guy who, okay, I'm going to be a tent maker from 7 to 11 in the morning. I'm going to teach from 11 to 4, and guess what I'm doing as soon as the bell rings? I'm going back to work. He was a tent maker because Paul was committed to the ministry. He says, I'm going to pay if necessary. I'm going to fill the only spot of the day that I can with these people in this location because I'm committed to this. In Acts chapter 20, 
uh, verse 34, it says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul wasn't a guy who was accustomed to receiving support. So that's why he was the tent maker from 7 to 11 and the tent maker from 4 to 930 because he was providing the way. But he was so committed that he says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to give opportunity for people to grow in their relationship with God and how to live a Christian life. He, he did whatever it took. And Paul did this for two years. Now, I know school's almost out, but I hope that you will be involved with me, kids. Hopefully you can be quicker than I am. Uh, Paul was teaching f uh, five hours a day for six days. How many hours is that? 30 hours a week. That's like a full-time job almost, right? Paul did this for two, uh, for one year. How many hours would this be? 52 weeks, it was 1,560 hours that Paul did it in one year. He did this times two years. Anybody want to blurt out the answer? 3120. That's how many hours Paul dedicated in two years to the, to the gospel, to sharing, to training up people and the way they should go. But he did this at the same time of working all these hours before and after class. Because Paul was dedicated to the ministry that God had called him to do. He says, I'm not letting anything stop me. I got to pay to be here. Fine, I'll, I'll be here. I'll pay to be here. I can only do it during these select hours. I'm going to be there during those select hours. Yes, that's when everybody else is sleeping. But that's when I have the opportunity to share Jesus with these people. I'm going to do it because I am fully committed to the gospel. Let me ask you. What, what ministry are you involved in? What are you dedicated to? You know, within a church, there's, there's numerous options. You know, there's a wanna, there's, there's being a, a trustee or a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, but that's within the site walls of this church. And if you've got a ministry within the walls of this church, how dedicated are you to it? But there's also, or how committed are you to it? But there's also ministries outside the walls of this church. Right. This ministry does not just happen here. You know, I think about people who work at the, the pregnancy center. They volunteer there on a regular basis. Uh, there's people who let's see. What other examples do I have? There's people who have spiritual conversations outside at work. There's people who, while they're around unsaved people, are praying for them. You know, prayer is a huge ministry. It doesn't get the kudos. It doesn't get the recognition. You know, after a wanna uh, wanna Sundays, usually I pass out a card and some kind of thank you mentos or something to say, hey, we could not do this without you. But prayer is one of those things that you're praying on the sideline and you never get a thank you card for that. Nobody even knows you're doing it half the time. What ministry are you involved in? And how committed are you to that? Paul was that guy who was committed. He put in every moment, every opportunity he was given, he took full advantage of it. Am I willing to participate in my ministry even when it's inconvenient? You know, there's lots of things that happen in life that, that can keep us from one thing or another. And, and it's easy to let that go by the wayside. Am I willing to keep doing my ministry when it's convenient? Am I willing to put the time into it to prepare for it? You know, that, you know, you can put a lot of work into preparing for something or sometimes you can go by the skin of your teeth. But if we're going to be good and committed to our ministries, when we have opportunity, we're going to prepare for it. 
Are we going, are we willing to sacrifice something else for the ministry? Am I willing to sacrifice my hobby? Am I willing to sacrifice this opportunity? I wasn't expecting it all of a sudden showed up. You know, Paul sacrificed sleep, I'm sure, because he's got to be preparing in the off time. He's, pre he's sacrificing his siesta. He's sacrificing spare time because he's got to be preparing and working in order to make this happen. Now, I'm not saying you got to be like Paul. Paul's like one of a kind. He's a single guy for one. Right. If you're single, you are free to do whatever you want. And it doesn't matter when you get married and you have a wife or a husband and kids. Uh, all of a sudden, your responsibility levels change. But are you doing what God has asked you to do? Are you sacrificing? Are you willing to to do what he wants you to do over and above anything else? Because I want to encourage you to do that, because God works people through people who are committed if you're committed to what God's called you to do, God is going to work through you. Uh, verse 11 through 16. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchief and the apron that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. The handkerchief Paul was wearing. While he's working, he's getting sweaty, and he's wiping this off. <sighs> I'm done with that. Somebody took that and whatever possessed somebody to take this to somebody else and say, here, why don't you touch Paul's handkerchief? You know, I, I'm assuming it's somebody who is sick, somebody who's going to pre, uh, repair a, a piece of garment or something. And they realize when I touch this, I got healed. I don't know. I have no idea what would possess me to say, well, Dale's sick today, so I'm going to take... I'm going to take Lauren's handkerchief and give it to Dale and hope it makes him better. <laughs> to me, that's like such an odd thing. But that's the kind of situation it was. Paul sweated or touched an article of clothing and someone said, give this to this person. And it says that the sick were healed. It says the demon left people all because of this garment that Paul touched that touched them. Now, what did Paul have to do with that? Nothing. He had absolutely nothing to do with this. I'm taking off my shirt because I'm hot and sweaty. You know, I'm wiping the sweat off my brow. He had nothing else to do with that. But God worked through Paul and, and really without Paul's knowing it, without Paul having any real connection to it. But we see because of Paul's faithfulness, God worked through him in ways that were pretty miraculous. He had nothing to do with it, but Paul worked through him anyway. But God didn't work the same way through those who were pretenders, people who were putting on an act, people who were putting on a show. God didn't say, I'm going to bless you and work through you that same way. Uh, verses 13 through 16. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. We find in verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Verse 16 says, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What were these people? They were pretenders. They went around uh, like, like it said, like vegans in the in the King James version, and it, they went around from place to place, acting like with my little spells or my little 
magic words, I'm able to cast out demons. Well, somehow they must have come in contact with Paul and saw there's power in the name of Jesus. And they think we found a magic. We found the magic words. If I just go up to somebody, if they can really cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They have it made. They can go around everywhere. They can get paid and they can become famous. But they but that's not that wasn't the trick. It wasn't this magic words in the name of Jesus in order for this to take place. And they thought they would try it, but they were just pretenders. And so they got their tails whooped. One man with a demon in him whooped seven of them. So they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. God was willing to work through Paul, the, the genuine, who was following him, who was committed to him. But, they, but God was not going to work through these, the pretenders in the same way. There was a big difference in God's eyes between those who are committed and those who are pretending to be following God. The same is true today. God works through his genuine, committed people today. You know, think about those people who show up every Wednesday for Awana. You know, you're working with these little kids. You're giving up your evening. You're tired after work or you're, you're teaching a Sunday school class or you're teaching a Bible study or um, whatever, whatever those church ministries are. If you're genuine and, and doing that, God's going to work through you in that outside the church. If you're volunteering at the pregnancy center, God's going to work through that. If you have spiritual conversations with people, if you are praying for somebody who you see out and about in the world consistently and you are committed to praying for that person, God is going to work through your prayers. Now, I don't know how and I don't know when. Because God didn't tell me if you're praying for somebody, here's how it's going to turn out and when it's going to turn out. All I know is what God's word says in Isaiah 55 verses 10 through 11, mainly verse 10. But I'll read verse 10 and 11. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they do not return to it without watering the earth, which we've all noticed, right? The rain falls and it's watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose I have set for it. God promises that his word will not return void. He says he will do it. He is going to do something. I have no idea what God's going to accomplish through you, but God promises to do something. But it doesn't work the same way with the, the pretender. You know, God did work through pretenders, and he does do that from time to time. You think about Judas Iscariot. He was a guy who walked around with Jesus for three years or three and a half years with the other 11 disciples, acting like he's believing. The disciples were sent out two by two. And they were doing miracles, and they were teaching. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Judas is doing exactly the same as everybody else. He did not stand out like a sore thumb, like that's the only guy who can't do anything. I wonder why. Right. They, he was doing exactly the same thing. So God can work through pretenders. But typically, he, I don't think he does, at least not in the same way. There are a lot of people who are trying to do a lot of things in the name of Jesus. And it's accomplishing absolutely nothing. And John 15, 5, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them a very valuable thing. If you want to be used by God, you want to see God working. It says, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You can try as hard as you want, put all the effort, energy you want into doing something in for, for the Lord. But apart from him, you are going to accomplish nothing. You've got to do it in his name or in his according to his plan. So let me recap so far. First of all, be committed to the ministry that God has called you to. And if you feel like I don't have a ministry to be involved in, come talk to me. I'll, I'll try to help you find one or go talk to God and say, what is it that you want me to do? Because God wants each of us to be involved in some kind of ministry. And remember that God will work through you when you are committed to that ministry. And number first, uh, third, the third point for today is when the time is right, the results will be made known. You will eventually see the fruit of your work. And Paul gets to see this, uh, chapter 19, verse 17 through 20. It says, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, so when, when uh, the seven sons of Sceva got their tails whooped by the demon, that became known everywhere. Okay, so it's a pretty big deal. It says, all who were seized, all were seized with fear, with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Verse 19 says, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together, and they burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and it grew in power. Through this all, through the work that Paul has started to do by speaking in the synagogue, moving to the, the uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus, uh, there was like a step, a chain of events that ultimately led to this because they, there was people who said, we're going to invoke the name of Jesus. That's the key word. We're going to try to kind of do what we see, think Paul's doing and have that same kind of prestige or the same kind of following. And, and through that, they found out, wait a second, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between being a true follower of Jesus and just saying, hey, the name of Jesus. And it, once people realize that, uh, they realize what what the the the, um, the cloth that touched Paul's brow that touched somebody else healed them. They saw the difference between people really getting the demons kicked out of them and people pretending to do that. You put all those things together, they see the real deal. They see the pretender, and through all that, they say, "Wait a second, Jesus is real." They see. That, and they, they, they got fearful. They became afraid um, they, because they, they, they recognized there is no pretending here. There is a real and there is a false. And this real Jesus is causing a real stir and a real difference. And it says the name of the Lord was held in high honor. This is where things really get interesting. You want to see people who say, I believe in Jesus, and you want to see something change in their life. This is a prime example of people saying, I believe in Jesus, and it's going to make a difference. It's, it says that um, uh, they, there, there was, let me read verse 17. It says, when this became known, the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus were all seized with fear. Uh, verse 18 says, uh, many of those who believed now came and they openly confessed their deeds. Verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them, them publicly. So first of all, you have all these people who are willing to confess their evil deeds. 
They're willing to publicly and, and vocally say, this is what I did wrong. What's going to possess people to stand in front of other people and say, this is what I'm doing wrong? Anybody here? Anybody who wants to come up here, I'll let you come up here. And you can tell the rest of us what you've done wrong. Anybody want to do that? I don't want to do it either. <laughs> but this is what people were doing. And it says, um, many of those who believed now came. So I'm thinking these are people who have believed for a while, but they're like, I've got to get my life right. You know, this Jesus is serious. He's changing things. He's, they're really casting out demons. This is no longer something that I can just intellectually say I believe. This has got to change my life. And that's what this, these people were doing. They were confessing, this is what I've done wrong. But it says, um, they, uh, they destroyed their, their scrolls publicly. A group of them got together and said, hey, I've got this stash of bad things. This, these, these sorcery scrolls. And they got together and they burned them. And it says it was worth 50,000 drachmas. That's 50,000 days wages. That's like 137 years of life. That's like almost, that's like two and a half to three years of life for people. And they burned that much stuff. Now what's going to possess people to bring my, my sin, my magazines, my movies, my sorcery stuff in front of everybody and let everybody know and torch it all and lose all that money? What's going to possess people to do that? Anybody want to take what you own and let everybody know what's hiding in your closet and burn it and never be able to do anything with it again? It was the true conviction about Jesus. It was a life-changing Jesus. It wasn't, yay, I got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven. It says, I've got to make it right and I'm going to do it now. And that's what these people were doing. And Paul got to witness this, this life-changing behavior that these people had. And it says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I want to say, no, duh, Paul. People whose lives are changing, people who are willing to confess their sins, demons being cast out, miracles being done, you put all this together, the whole world's going to know about this. You know, in uh, Acts chapter 19, next week, we find Paul... Um, getting hauled off for his faith, and they're trying to accuse him. They say, Paul has convinced and led astray a large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. You know what Paul is saying? What Paul is sharing? People are taking with them everywhere. Uh, commentaries say that, you know, the seven churches in Revelation that are have a letter specifically addressed to them, those seven churches were probably started at this time. Paul's making, he's, he's affecting everywhere, all because he was a faithful with one little point to what God's called him to do, and the results are expanding, they're getting wider and wider, and he has no idea what impact that he's had. All he knows is he started out preaching God's word. He started recognizing God's preaching or God's working through him. And someday he's going to understand the extent of all the work that he did. 
And I'm here to tell you, if you are faithful to the ministry God has called you to do, God is going to work through you. And at some point in your life or in the life to come, you are going to see the results of it. You know, some things you're going to see immediately. You know, I think about the people who work at the pregnancy center and, and a young couple comes in, they're scared to death. You know, I'm in high school and I'm, I'm going to have this baby. Mom and dad are going to kill me and I don't know how I'm going to take care of this. What do I do? You know, I'd really rather get rid of this kid. And somebody who's going to be faithful serving in that pregnancy place is going to say, you know what? I realize it was a mistake on your part, but God gave you this life and I, you should keep this child or give this child up for adoption. And that, that immediately that, that parent might say, okay, I will keep this child. That's something you might immediately see God doing because you are just faithful to what God, uh, to the ministry God gave you. You know, sometimes it's going to take maybe in your lifetime. Now, if you've ever worked with kids, whether at VBS or Awana, you know, that's an extracurricular thing. I mean, I don't know what teachers do at school when, uh oh, that kid came into my class. But sometimes when I've been around kids and worked in Awana VBS most of my whole life, and I remember those kids like, oh no, so-and-so showed up. I was hoping they wouldn't. I don't have the patience tonight. You know what? In your lifetime, if you are faithful to that ministry, you just might see that little tyrant that should have been named Tyrants become the kid who is eventually saved and working at a wanna yourself. You have no idea what could happen, but if you're faithful to that ministry God gave you to do, he may show you that in your lifetime. Or it might be the person that you're praying for, you know, that I, I remember somebody so-and-so back in my life, and I prayed for their salvation, and I we, we, we lost track, we went out of high school, we went to two different colleges, I have no idea what happened to them, but I always felt like I gotta be praying for this person. You might find out when you get to heaven that, whoa, so-and-so became a pastor, so-and-so made it to heaven, so-and-so became the greatest missionary of all time, but you won't know it till you get to heaven. I have no idea. And so for, for me, I got goosebumps. It, it gives me encouragement that, hey, okay, there's, it's worth investing time in a ministry. You know, you, you don't see immediate fruit. You know, it'd be easier to change tires. Someone comes with a flat tire, they leave with one that's fixed. You take it off, you put one on, and everybody's happy, and immediately I see it. It'd be easier to plant grass. And I'm lousy at planting grass. We've tried and tried. But, you know, you throw the grass seed out, you cover it with dirt, and it waters. And then like a week later or two, all of a sudden you have grass. But when you're involved in ministry, you have no idea if you're planting it on the rocks or on the soil or on the, in the weeds. You have no idea how that's going to come to fruition. But you don't have to worry about that. Your job is to be the person who's faithful in ministry. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't become weary in doing good because you will. You're involved in ministry. You're seeing no fruits of your labor. You're feeling like I'm beating my head against the wall. Nothing is happening. It says, don't become weary in doing good for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. It might be now. It might be in the next five years. It might be 5,000 years into eternity. You know, I don't know, but you will see uh, the, the fruit of your labor. God's going to accomplish something in it. You can't worry about what God's working. You can't worry about the results. All you can do is worry about the part that God gave you to do, and that's to be faithful in ministry. So as we started before, that word right there is a very big word. Not because it has a lot of letters. 
although it does. I, I couldn't spell it correctly. I need to spell check. I'm not even sure that's spelled right. Um, but it is a, it's a big word, but it involves a lot. It involves time. It involves sacrifice. It involves discipline, devotion. We want it in our marriages. My wife is very committed to me. I want that. I want it in my job. If I had employees, uh, they want it on the, the baseball field. They want it on the track team. They want it on the basketball court. Everywhere you go, we say commitment is a valuable thing. But how much more should we be committed to what God has called us to do? So one more time, be committed to the ministry God has called you to do. God is going to work through you in that commitment. And one day you will see the results of that. Let's pray. Father God, you know me, you know my, my lack of um, belief sometimes that what I do is going to amount to anything that it's ever going to change. And I'm sure somebody in here feels the same way, that you, you work with kids, you work with people, you, you share the gospel, you pray, and it doesn't always feel like something's going to happen. God, I just pray that you give us a tenacity and a desire to be more committed to the things that you've put upon our hearts. You know, the distractions that are going to come up when we try to be committed. And um, I just thank you, God, that you are faithful even when we're not. Please help us to be committed to what you called us to. Please help us, God, to see the results of the work that you're doing through, a, through us. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.